and you can say a little bit about what you just told me. That my practice has been going well lately that uh, I've started to have moments where I feel okay, just where I am, you know, not this sense that I need to be getting somewhere that I've been going about things all backwards and um, trying to get somewhere in my meditation and things you've been saying have been sinking in about being okay where I am um, and uh, just been finally experiencing a little bit of sukha. My sati has been a little bit better throughout the day, which has has been helpful. Um, you know, just seeing that it's all the how to put this. It's all the going, trying to get somewhere in my head that's that's stirring me up, and it, that you know, it's a game that I don't. <laughs> I don't need to be playing, but I only get get little little glimpses of 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 uh, not playing it. Well, my first thought, my first thing to say is congratulations that you have finally made the turnaround, the switch that is so necessary that many many people uh, who practice. Of what they're calling meditation is done in a way that they're wanting something out of it. Just like they wanted something out of everything that they've been doing for almost all except for about five or six years of their life when they were really little. Okay. And that basically what we're doing is we're getting back into the state where everything's okay. You see, when we were born, everything was taken care of. We didn't even have to change our own diapers. We didn't have to feed ourselves. And that one of the things um, about having a baby around is everybody likes it. Everybody likes having a baby around. Babies are joyful. They bring joy into the home. At least that's what everybody believes because there's enough evidence of it. And yet after they get a hold of that child, it becomes more and more just like them. So much of what the real issue is, is for each one of us to recognize that the current life that we live is unsatisfactory. And we long for getting it back into that state of nurturing that basically we can say that that big switch that is flipped is from nurturing to critical and then we get into critical for a long long time and now we're learning to switch it back to nurturing yeah and you have to remember to keep switching it back from critical to nurturing Now, in the nurturing, there is no dichotomy. But in critical, there is the dichotomy of good and bad. Good and bad, right and wrong, follow the rules, do what you're told to do, pick up your toys, clean your room, learn your ABCs, put down that cell phone and do your homework. Boy, have we heard all of that. (laughs) 
And so we become critical. Now, this critical uh, nature um, has some instinctual base to it. And so it's easy for the child to fall into that. But it's also reinforced by the society because everybody is that way. And so um, we need to actually develop the motherly instinct, reestablish it for ourselves. And so that's why first thing that I said to you was nurturing. Congratulations for making that turnaround. It's very interesting that um, the story of Adam and Eve, Bhikkhu Buddhadasa likes that story a lot because he gets the point of it. You see, uh, the story of Adam and Eve is very much like Aesop's fables. Do you know about Aesop's fables? I think they teach them a bit of it in school, and there's a whole bunch of them. Um, uh, the one that's most famous is the tortoise and the hare race. But there's also the fox and sour grapes and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and the point of the Aesop's fables is not the story, and it's not talking turtles and talking rabbits and talking foxes. And I don't even think foxes jump for grapes. But there's a story in there that has a morality to it or moral. There's a, these are moral stories. And that the story of Adam and Eve is also a moral story. And yet, the storytellers get wrapped up in the story itself. And then it becomes all about talking snakes, apples, the woman did it first, she seduced me, it's her fault. You can see all of that stuff built into it. And then the other one is um, that God threw Adam and Eve out of paradise because he disobeyed his orders. All right? But that's not the issue at all. The issue is, is that they had to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what do we mean uh, fruit here is the results, like the result of actions. So you made your bed, you have to lie in it, the comma and the result of the comma. Uh, uh, or you get what you ask for is another one like that. Um, and so really what is happening with that story is is that Adam and Eve people and and it looked what the story is trying to intend is is that this was the first man the original which actually is indicating that this is an old old problem that probably as humans became fully human we already had this issue that we can see where this issue comes from in the sense of eating berries. And we eat these berries because they're sweet and delicious, and we don't eat these berries because they're sour and I get sick when I eat one. Okay, so 
even monkeys and chimps go through this process of making um, things good and bad based upon how they like them or how they taste. So the Buddha talks about it in the sense of um, in the Paticca Samuppada at that point of feeling brings on tanha. In other words, if I like it, I want it. But there's also a side issue with that tanha that the Buddha doesn't cover exactly in Paticca Samuppada, but it's very evident there. And that is, if I like it, then I want it. Therefore, it must be good. And if I don't like it, and I don't want it, it must be bad. This is the beginning of critical thinking. And if we apply that critical thinking to paradise, what happens to paradise? If we become critical of it, whatever was there that we call paradise, we don't call it paradise anymore. In fact, the Garden of Eden didn't make any changes. But it was no longer a paradise when we start judging it. And so we are uh, we are taught to do that by the society in the beginning when the baby is born is all nurturing. A child is not likely to get slapped around because it poops in its diapers. But a kid who uh, should already be potty trained, if he poops in his uh, pants, he doesn't want anybody to know. And so mom goes and she finds soiled pants in the hamper. (laughs) So this is what happens we become critical. We move out of nurturing into critical. And so most of the kind of thinking that we have are critical thoughts. Thoughts of this needs to be done, that needs to be done, this is not good, that's not gone. Uh, Devin needs to do this before Devin can do that. Right? And now we're making the change back to nurturing. So you can see then that critical thinking is divisive. It cuts things up. But nurturing reunites us and brings us back together as a whole human being. So that we become friendly to ourselves, nurturing to ourselves. You become your own mommy. Nurturing mommy who is taking care of you, that Devin is all taken care of. You've probably heard the word paranoid means that the whole world is out to get you. Oh, heck, I mean, as, as a stimulant user, I know much more than I'd, much more vivid experience of paranoia than I'd like. Well, time to change it from paranoia, and I'll give you a new word that's not used much in our language, and I wonder why, and that is metanoid. (laughs) Okay, what is metanoia? Metanoia is the firm belief 
that the whole world, the universe, and everything in it is there to nurture you, to take care of you, and is on your side, and everything is okay. So become a metanoid. Kind of nice uh, accident of history that got the uh, the meta in there, eh? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not an accident, it's language. Yes, so much of the poly is already in uh, English. It's an Indo-European language. We can see bits and pieces of it all around. One of them is, in fact, that the monks don't carry a bowl, they carry a pot. It's a, actually a pot in the Thai, uh, in, a pot in the Pali. And because it was Christians who translated it, they translated pot into bowl. Why? Because they're not about to have a, a pot on their altar. They have bowls on their altar. Okay, so we talk about it carrying a bowl, but it, uh, um, but it's actually a pot. And many, many words like this. Another example is the word who and whom, you know, that the M, M sound, or they and them. That's the holdover of the dative case. Like they went to town with them. And so we have in the Pali, Buddham, Saranam, Gachami, which means I go to the Buddha. So it's in dative case, right? There's all kinds of holdovers from that ancient language. But in fact, that was what got the, um, the Westerners so all intrigued was because Pali and Latin are very close together. They decline nouns the same way with the same endings. They conjugate verbs in the same way that the verb in Pali is always at the end of the sentence, just like in German and Latin. Okay, so um, it's not a happy coincidence, this idea of, of meta being both a poly word and a word that is used in Western language. Helps. But in fact, what is a meeting? People coming together. People coming together. What is meta? <laughs> Same root. Right, it's friendliness or it's meeting, it's coming together. Um, and that this, when we do this on the inside, this is what the Buddha means by um, unification of mind. That when, we're, when we have a critical mind, then we're dividing things up. This is good, this is bad. We divide things up in the sense of telling lies or telling the truth. We don't like the truth, so we tell a lie. Well, in meditation right now, um, it's interesting. I, I, I have you know these 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 nice moments where I do feel like okay, where I'm at is good. Good, bad, or indifferent, whatever's going on is is fine. Um, and then what seems to be holding me back at that point is this hunger for 
you know, the peace of dissolution that every once in a while I experience. Um, and it's that kind of eagerness to feel um, more peaceful than I am that actually prevents me from settling down. Ah, so what you're saying, I think, is, is that when you start to feel good, you want to feel better. You start judging how good you feel. Yes. And yeah. you want it to be better, which means now you're critical of your nurturing. Yes. <laughs> the mind is like that, just like a spring. That, in fact, um, uh, you know how they, they make springs. They have the metal that they put into that position, and then they heat it up. And then they douse it in cold water, and that gives a springiness to it and takes brittleness out of it. Okay, and that's exactly what's happened to your mind. It is not just brittly um, uh, nurturing. Now it tends to spring always back into critical. And so every time we catch it, we take it and we push it back into the nurturing. Mm -hmm. And then the mind will go springing right back into the critical. Yeah. And it'll remain that way. And the skill that you're going to develop is not to take the, the springiness out. But rather the skills that you will develop is the, the, uh, the sati of catching it quickly. All right, so imagine that to spring something flies like a slingshot or a bow or something that's got really springy action to it. And after it lets go, that's when things get hit by that spring. Right? The jack-in-the-box comes out and hits the baby in the face. Something like that. This is what happens to us. And when we, or that we become angry. That springiness, we don't like something, and we spring right into the action of being angry, thinking that we, when we feel angry, that's actually the source of the anger is fear, but that we become angry because that helps us feel powerful, energetic, and capable of managing the, ang uh, the, the fear inside. And oftentimes, by managing our fears that way, we make things worse. I know. Okay. So, what we need then to practice is to catch that spring while it's either in motion before it hits something. So, you can catch it as it hits something. You can let it just hit something. Or you can catch it mid-course like with anger, you open your mouth and you start being uh, in an argument with someone and then sati comes and we shut up, close our mouth, take a deep breath and say everything's going to be all right and I can come out of this anger, I can come out of this uh, critical mind. Eventually, though, we can get it to the point that we can come out of anger before we ever say a word which means now it's going to be low. But if we stop talking and still have those angry thoughts going, then we can call that 
suppression or repression or something fancy for the psychologist to talk about. So what we're talking about now is can we catch that stuff in the mind before it even comes out? And to now, Sati is getting really fast that we can catch it in midstream. And that's basically what the job is. And that's something that you've already begun to practice. And so the whole point is every time you remember to come out, then come out. Chain, and when I say come out, I'm basically saying throw out those angry or unwholesome or critical thoughts and come back into nurturing thoughts that, hey, everything's all right. Everything's okay right now. Aha, uh-huh, I saw you and I'm out of it. And we need to practice that dozens and dozens and dozens of times. So a lot of people think that the spiritual journey or enlightenment is getting yourself to feel extraordinarily wonderful. But a much better way of looking at it is, is that why can't we get ourselves into a really nice, easy, comfortable state that's nowhere near that exalted? In other words, we're using words like happy and joy and stop using words like bliss. bliss. Because that, that kind of word actually requires the critical mind. It's almost like that the perfect is the enemy of the good. that an A is the enemy of a B. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying you're saying it comes from the critical mind. What what I'm getting is is that I'm trying to get for something that's on one end of the dichotomy. I'm trying to get to good rather than just being okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So coming out of the critical mind which is which is putting, oh, the state I'm in is really bad, and I want that super exalted state. Yeah. I want to be up there with Jesus and Buddha and God and the uh, the saints we've heard about and the gurus and all of that. I want to be way up there. And wherever these guys are, all they have to say is, well, wherever I am, I'm okay. Yeah. So we have to be here in this present moment with everything's just okay. Everything is fine. Because look how many different kinds of problems and troubles you can create just by thinking about them. Endless. Endless fucking shit stream. Pardon my language wrong camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the new way of thinking is to gladden the mind. This is the secret ingredient that is not so secret, but for some reason it's the part that's left out of meditation. When it's taught, when people say noting, and just keep noting what the mind is doing, and they never tell the student, by the way, you need to change that critical thinking that you're noting. If you note that you're having critical thoughts, then make a change to it. That's the gladdening of the mind. We have to actually make a change. 
And that change is from changing from critical into nurturing. By doing so, so go ahead. Uh, so, uh, some of the, some of the, excuse me, uh, some of the advice I've seen in, in the suttas is that sometimes when you're having trouble with a thought and you can't shake it, sometimes it's actually okay to leave the object and dispute it. Um, and, and, uh, um, dispute whatever's going on and, and, and so you can return to the object. It's a kind of one thing I'm hearing is sometimes I can take a moment to address my thinking if it's in meditation or heck, not in meditation. I mean, we're just meditating for practice, right? Um, but I was thinking about meditation. Sometimes in meditation, it's okay to be like, okay, my thinking's all out of whack. Let me take a moment to analytically come back into something more in whack. <laughs> Actually, the way to do that is stop whacking. <laughs> That's the change, okay? Because the whacking is whacking it good or whacking it out or whacking it back and forth. And nurturing is, is that, hey, it don't need whacked. It's all right. Right. The, the, I mean, it's what you were talking about with the restraint talk that you did, you know, like I don't, I don't really need to add anything to the picture, just be there with what it is. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the ways of thinking about it is, is that it kind of soaks in. Uh, you probably experienced as uh, sponges that are old and dried out. And when you uh, put water on them in the beginning, the water doesn't go in. It rolls off. Okay. This is like the mind. So you, you could get yourself into a state of satisfaction because it's new. It's um, very close to the old. Uh, in the regard of very easy to fall back into critical thinking. And so we'll have, let us say, one mind moment of critical, of nurturing, followed by a thousand thoughts of, thousand mind moments of critical thinking. And then we'll allow a, a nurturing thought to come in. And so this is the kind of the beginning, but what we're looking for is to the frequency to keep reminding ourselves somehow that everything really is okay. Everything is fine. Everything is going to be all right. No worries. You know, we've heard all of this stuff before, but we don't hear it often enough. And so we hear mostly critical thoughts. So we have to practice not getting super good nurturing going, but just any old kind of nurturing at all. And we need to keep coming back to it over and over and over again so that we can get ourselves uh, to the point of, like the sponge, beginning to take in some water. 
and eventually it softens up so that we actually, rather than just telling ourselves nurturing thoughts and feeling it a little bit, we begin to really, really get it, that really things are all right. And, and it's like, what a relief. What a relief that the world actually is a good place. That the worst parts about it is my critical aspects of it. I have that. I have that sense, you know, that I've had this. I've had this my whole life, actually. That the world is this, you know, really amazing place, and 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 then here's me, um, who can't seem to access it, and uh, and you're thinking critical thoughts, and I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this wonderful place. The more that I meditated, it seems like there's this 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 house of cards where, um, you know, I am wanting things to be different because I don't feel good, which makes me not feel good, and so on and so forth. It's just like there seems seems like there's just a little cord that could be snipped somehow. Um. That's that's what everybody's kind of hoping that if I keep snipping or keep tugging, eventually it will break. That's the way that we practice meditation, and it comes from, um, let us say, the human belief that's part of our culture uh, of the law of karma. If you do good, you will eventually get a good result, and if you do bad you'll eventually get a bad result. But the Buddha looks at the comma in the sense of, look at what you're doing right this very minute. Because if you're having critical thoughts, then you're unhappy. And if you're having nurturing thoughts, then you're okay. And that's a different kind of way of looking at the law of comma. That in fact, the reality of the law of comma is, is that we do not know what is good action without determining what the result is. An example is, is that you buy stock in, a, in a, the stock market, and if the stock goes up, then the original purchase was a good action. But if the stock goes down and you sell it, maybe you bought it on margin and now there's a margin call or something, and you have to sell it, now the original stock purchase was a, a bad action. When we take an action, we often don't know whether that action in the future in fact, we don't know what the future is going to bring. We just don't know what the future is going to bring. So that idea that if I meditate hard enough, long enough, some event will happen and then I'll feel good. Maybe the common machine will come in, sneak into the meditation hall and spring some magical shocky pot all over me and now I'm in bliss. And it only took 100,000 hours of meditation. Right, so keep, keep my frame that, of reference. That's 10 there. years at three hours a day, by the way. <laughs> I mean, go to the monastery. I, um, what was I going to say? Keep my frame of reference always to how can I make now good? Right. 
Mm -hmm. But sometimes... Well, no, it, you don't have to make it anything. It's already okay. Right. Stop making. Because this is the right. thing... Stop making it. Yeah. Stop making it anything. But it's already okay. Because those, those thoughts of I need to improve this are the thoughts that make it not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've gotten ourselves into the habit of trying to th improve things and make things better. And what we're left with is the habit of making things better. Mm -hmm. We're in the habit of being dissatisfied, trying to make things better. Yeah. But and now then we're going to actually practice satisfaction. We're going to practice nurturing. Everything's all right is what we're practicing. And eventually, we get the real deep feeling of comfort. In the beginning, it's good. In the middle, it gets much, much better. And in the end, it's completely delightful. But in the beginning, if we can continue our criticism, oh, I feel good, but it's not good enough. I'll feel better later. That's practicing critical. Well, and the, and the other one that comes up for me, knee jerk, is, um, oh, I'm feeling good. Um, it's going to go away. Or um, if it's the result of my own actions, I won't be able to sustain this action. Those, those two things. I, I feel nervous almost as soon as I feel good. Ah, so you're talking about the feeling of impending doom, that I had better be on guard because something bad is going to happen. Well, when I see it in meditation, you know, it, it's I can see it's a it's it's restlessness that I wouldn't I wouldn't be having this problem if I weren't casting my mind into the future. Mm hmm. Exactly. You can actually see where. Fear, the underlying motivation, and the reason that fear is the underlying motivation is because it comes out of our most deepest primitive instincts of survival, self-preservation instinct, and the language that that speaks is the language of fear, which again gives us the idea we've got to do something to get out of this dangerous situation. All right, so that feeling of movement to get out of the way of danger then is the source of restlessness at its very tiniest. When it gets bigger and bigger, it becomes anxiety and then stress. And then we feel to be driven in hurry up. That, that was my main driver I've recognized in the 1970s in psychology, but I didn't know what to do with it. They did, I could identify it because of the, the studies in psychology. It wasn't until with Bhikkhu Buddhadasa that I understood, really, that it's not a matter of doing something about restlessness. It's like if, if, a, if a, a, a mouse chases a rat, what's the rat going to do? Not much. It's going to run. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anything that's chased is going to run. And restlessness means that we're on a chase, which means that something is then going to be on the run. 
and we feel like that we've got to go. We've got to got to do it. This manifested with me in, uh, let us say, a, a high speed motorcycle entertainment. I recently saw on the Internet, I guess it was some elderly woman who wrote it, but she says, why did the motorcyclist ride right on the yellow line, right in the middle of the road? Why don't they move their bike into the middle of the lane or over to the side so that uh, it's safer driving? This woman's obviously never ridden a motorcycle. You want out on that on that lane so that you can pass whatever's in front of you. That's why you're there. Don't get behind a truck. Pass it always. Fumes of a truck you don't want in your face. All right. And so this means that we begin to get in a hurry, not just in motorcycle riding, but in everything we do. That this was actually the way that I uh, um, began to live my life. I remember one time in high school, in algebra class, that uh, uh, Mr. Horton gave us a um, a pop quiz on Friday. And here I I finish up right in a hurry, and I go put my uh, paper up on the desk first. I'm the first guy there. And then I recognize that I'd done one of the uh, the, the questions wrongly, you know, rethinking it. I go and grab the, the paper. And everybody laughs. I come back and make the correction and put it, and I still get it back on the desk before everybody else. And and they laughed, but I felt the satisfaction that at least I got it done. That's a, a, a driver being driven to be in a hurry. That's especially difficult for meditators of being in a hurry to get something when there's yeah. nothing to get. <laughs> And so well, here comes a struggle. Here's here's the trap in meditation, and, and I'll bet it's indicative of, of life in general. You know, like I when I first came into meditation, very first time, got a Dharma talk on presentness. Never thought about it. Had this wonderful, wonderful experience. Lasted a whole week, and again going into meditation with no preconceptions. Um, I had these moments, I don't know what kind of genre or whatever, but just once or twice I had these beautiful experiences of just completely dissolving, being one with everything and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and yeah, it's just an experience, you know, it's not a place a human can stay, but God, that was 13 years ago, I'm still trying to get back there. And ever since then, it's been chasing, chasing the dragon. And because I want that, I can't get it because I, I want it. <laughs> because you're wanting something. Yeah. That, that, that's the, this, this is quite common in meditation, that people will have a meditation experience. And then their meditation practice takes a wrong turn because now regaining the experience they had it becomes the, the new goal yeah rather than uh the way that that 
possibly grew was like um, a seed of uh, satisfaction and comfort started to grow. A good example of this, by the way, is uh, flowers, getting a flower to open or bloom. How do you get a flower to open and bloom? Water it. Well, you plant the seeds and yeah. you water it and give it nourishment and nutriment, okay? But if you go up to that flower that is still a bulb and is in the process of opening and you start saying, okay, time for you to open. Come on, open up. I want to see that flower. And then we start tearing at the at the thing, trying to get that flower to open up. What's going to happen to that poor flower bulb when we're trying to make it open up? It's kaput. <laughs> kaput is right. <laughs> so you're a delicate flower in the process of bloom, <laughs> beginning to bloom. And you need to nurture that flower and let it bloom on its own rather than trying to recreate an experience. It's like tearing that flower apart. Yeah. Come on, I saw you bloom before. Come on. Yeah. So this is how we approach it now is, is that even when it's still a seed, it's okay. Even when it's just germinating, it's fine. Even when it's beginning to bulb, that's okay. Just let it be as it is. It's fine. Keep nurturing, keep nurturing, and that bloom will open on its own. This is the the haiku that I like. Uh, Busho wrote it. The Japanese is, is that sitting here with nothing to do and no place to go, and the spring comes, and the grass grows by itself. Now that quality of the grass growing by itself is a metaphor for all kinds of things that just happen naturally on their own. The grass grows by itself, doesn't need any help. Mm -hmm. And so if you keep nurturing the flower within you, then you can enjoy it, whatever it's doing, without expecting it to have the end goal of blooming. This is how we practice over and over again. So back to Sati now. If we can't remember to do this, we won't do it. That's why sati is so important, is we have to keep remembering and remembering and remembering that that spring is, uh, is all sprung and are uh, all tensed up and ready to spring into action, which is the critical mind. And we've overly used, overly activated, and given a great deal of uh, practice to being uh, in critical thinking. And we're quite expert at it. Without critical thinking, we couldn't have built our society. 
Critical thinking is what get, got the first um, human to pick up a rock to beat uh, the bones that the lions have left to get the marrow out. And then he decided that that was a good rock. He likes that rock. Did the job. After a few centuries, he wraps a stick around it and with some twine and it becomes a hand axe. Fast forward to modern society and now that's the cell phone. But we've been picking up and carrying around a, a hand axe for many, many thousands and thousands of years. That's how long we have been in critical thinking. Now it's time to not just not even have to put down the hand axe. But you just, you know, everything's okay now. We've used the axe. Let's enjoy things the way that they are. So this is the way that we um, go for materialism. That hand axe and the cell phone are actually a representation or a metaphor for uh, materialism. And we humans have gotten very materialistic. How do we get materialistic? Through critical thinking. This one's better than that. The Android's better than the iPhone. Or the iPhone's better than the Android. Or in fact, the human is okay with or without the cell phone. Cell phones are optional. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It's interesting, I'm starting to get um, some financial stability again. And suddenly I'm thinking about things that I was totally fine without. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're good. You're already good. That's what we need to practice. Instead of practicing the critical thinking that we have become experts at, now we're going to start practicing the reunification rather than the division so that we become unified, nurtured. Everything's all right. We gladden the mind. So this is where the idea of two kinds of thoughts come in. Critical thoughts versus nurturing thoughts, wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts. Critical thoughts are thoughts of I like it, I don't like it. And nurturing thoughts are I don't have to make those kind of choices of whether it's good or bad. It's already just okay. So, I mean, I, I, I've been looking at um, uh, the Satipatthana Sutta a bit lately. And uh, the one, one thing that's coming to mind as you're saying this is um, this, this sense of being okay with the way things are. It's almost like it's a, it's a non-reaction. You know, sometimes I might need to verbalize it, but mostly it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm okay. And it, it reminds it reminds me of, at least that, that's what's been coming up for me lately. And um, it reminds me, I've been thinking about where it says, you know, thinking about what I'm sensing in and of itself, setting aside greed and distress in relation to the world. So just being here with what I'm sensing without getting carried away into, you know, I want this, I don't want this. Mm -hmm. 
that's a very good way of looking at it is anything that we're thinking about that's not here right now is a hindrance to being here right now. And the kind of thoughts that we want to have when we're right here right now is right here right now is nice. Everything is all right. This present moment is nice stuff. <laughs> and everything's okay. Everything's fine. Take a deep breath and say, ah, finally. It's almost like the sense of having um, been working. And that now, for some reason, the work time is over. And so the worker in the field, let us say he's uh, in the South 100 years ago picking cotton. And sundown comes. And the, uh, the yard boss says, uh, gives the word. Okay, time off or whatever. A lot of folks, when they, when they hear that, they will not even bother to leave the cotton field. What they'll do is just sit down right where they are. They're tired. Sit down and take a load off. <sighs> Glad that work is done. So think of it like this in the sense that every time you think about it or your practice of meditation is also having the thought that the job is done now. The day's work has been put in. Mm -hmm. Now is the time to relax. There's nothing to do, no place to go. Those are the exact thoughts that just briefly in, in, you know, in the course of my whole year, I'm starting to get right now like, oh, I can actually just relax as I'm, as I'm, um, just glimpses. Mm-hmm. So all we need to do, we, we kind of got the idea of what needs to be done. To throw the old thoughts out, right effort, take a deep breath with right effort, and just enjoy the moment. So we're actually working with the Eightfold Noble Path and throwing out unwholesome thoughts and taking in wholesome thoughts. And the, and the unwholesome thought is, get her done. Eve too. <clears throat> Tote that barge, lift that bale. The next thing you know, you're going to land in jail. That's the song, <laughs> Old Man River. Can I just, I hate, hate to be rude, can I just briefly respond to a, an important text? Just take the two seconds. I'm sorry, say that again. What happened? Just need to respond to something very briefly. Sorry. Sorry, thank you for being. Ooh, wrong button, wrong button. Thank you, thank you for being patient. Sorry about that. All right. 
that's exactly the kind of thing. This is what happened just now. I don't know what you were doing, but whatever it is, that's exactly the way that the mind works. We're sitting here enjoying life. Everything's okay. And then something will happen. The cell phone will buzz or whatever. And now all of a sudden we've got to get up and we've got work to do. But you don't have to. You just say, never mind. We'll take care of that later. Everything's okay right now. Allows us to put things off. To become comfortable in this present moment. So notice just a minute ago. Notice how you felt. When all of a sudden you and I were just having a, 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 a happy session and then something happened, how did you feel? Urgency. Mm -hmm. That's that restlessness. That's that urgency or that, that uh, hurry up driver. Something's urgent. Guess what? Nothing is urgent. No need for urgency. So when you, when that urgent feeling comes up, recognize it. And say, you don't have to feel that way. That's in fact the spring that I was talking about before. And what what how did it hit you? It ha it slapped you into feeling urgent. driving you, pushing you, urging you, putting you into a state of emergency. How often does that happen? On, uh, on a hair trigger. Pardon? On a hair trigger. So, next time before you pull that trigger, recognizing the urge, to pull that trigger into urgency. That's a good example right there. You just gave yourself an excellent uh, opportunity to see what we're talking about. We can take a deep breath and says, it's not really all of that urgent. Everything's okay. That grass will grow by itself. <laughs> so it's funny, you gave yourself a wonderful opportunity for practice right then. Well, that's the nice thing. That's the nice thing is is that there's there's no moment where there isn't something, some opportunity to see and practice the Dhamma. It's the kind of nice thing about about the whole deal. Well, that's the pro. Actually, that's the situation with the here now. It's always here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
If we're lucky. <laughs> That's what the Dhamma is all, all about, is the Dhamma of be here right now so that we can see that, that urgency or see those hair triggers, see that stuff come up. I can see it. I can see it bubbling up. Like I can see a lot of the stuff you said today. I mean, there's a feedback loop here, but is stuff that's been been coming up for me in meditation. It's like, okay, yeah, this confirms what's kind of intuitively intuitively the direction I feel I need to be going, and um, and so this is hopeful. <laughs> I know Not you don't like yourself. that. Remember to nurture yourself. You too can have a smile. <laughs> well, Devin, you go remember this. Keep practicing. Recogni recognizing that you have been putting yourself on a regular basis into a state of urgency. And then that's what you want to get out of is that state of urgency that you keep putting yourself into. So be on guard for that. So that when you begin to put yourself in a state of urgency, that's to say you can say, ah, I see you, Mr. Urgency. Right. I can see you, Mr. Urgency. I don't have to become urgent right now. If Mr. Urgent can go grow his own grasp all by himself. Good. I mean, that that's a. Uh... Just like right at the beginning, you gave me a sati point at when I had a judgment. Of, no, what was the beginning? I think the very first thing was to make my cigarette inhale be a, a moment to bring some sati to the issue mm -hmm. and to make it a good moment instead of a bad moment. So it's another thing I can look out for. I'm still I'm still smoking, but I'm okay with it now. <laughs> <laughs> well then that means that you can start looking at that first urge or that first urgency to take a cigarette and you can tell yourself right then well at least for the next few minutes I'm okay I'll have that cigarette later that for the moment I'm going to take a deep breath without the drag And if you can postpone it for one minute, this time you can postpone it for two minutes next time. Yeah, there is no no really other end game with cigarettes one way or another. Well, you're okay as a smoker. Everything's all right. I've had I've had to be fighting it was driving me nuts. Just wasn't well, you idea. were driving you nuts with your own criticism. Oh, big time, big time. 
Time to nurture. Amen. Why? Why not? What a what other way would I want to be spending my days? Uh huh. Exactly so. Exactly. That's great. Well, let's go ahead and finish now. I think that we've gotten something that's quite useful for you. But we need to keep remembering. But you need to, when you do remember, to actually get out of that urgency and to be at peace. Yep. <laughs> a, million, a million times to practice a day, just as you were saying it. Thank you very much, Damarado. I very much appreciate um, you being there. It's something that makes me feel like I can, oh, that would be the exact wrong word. Let's say get somewhere with my practice. <laughs> no, you're not getting anywhere with your practice. We're stopping all of that. We're just enjoying the moment. A nurturing, love-filled moment. Everything's okay. And then we develop friends so that we can share these moments of nurturing. This is what Dhamma friends are all about. I like it when I connect students together mm -hmm. so that they can give each other some Dhamma. I talked to Danny Cox and there's a Dennis Vasquez that added me, but we haven't talked to him, but uh, heck. I'd love I'd love more people to talk to. Feel free to send anyone my way. All right. Okay. I'll uh, um, I'll I'll post something on Skype for you. Wicked. We'll see you later, Devin. See you, Amarado. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>